0: Right, for the benefit of those listening back later, today's reading is Luke 5, verses 33 to 39. And what I plan to do this morning is tell you some stories, because that's how Jesus taught people. He rarely told people things directly. He let them think about what he'd said and work it out for themselves. In this reading, that's exactly what he's doing. The disciples ask about fasting and he's talking about weddings and he's talking about pieces of cloth and he's talking about wineskins. And he doesn't really answer them specifically. Jesus was always teaching about new ways of doing things. And he knew that people had to leave some, things, some of the things behind that they'd been taught in the past. And that applied to the disciples, but it also applies to us now, because things can hold us back. So the disciples had to new, learn new ways of doing new things. And if they weren't prepared to change, then they simply couldn't do as he told them to. They had to be prepared to make themselves flexible so that they could take on board what Jesus was teaching. The kingdom that Jesus was talking about, the kingdom of God, was based on love, not loads of rules that told you what you can and cannot do. Goat skin bags were used in first century Palestine as containers for holding liquid. It's far more sustainable than our ready, ready, readily available cheap plastic that we use goat skins probably don't hang around for a, hundred, a thousand years in landfill. So the goat skin was treated so that it held liquid. Um, the ones in the video that we were showing were very posh goat skins. Most of them probably look a more, bit more like this. And the recipe for making a wine skin is that you cut and sew together two 50 centimeter pieces of goat skin. You cover it with glue, which you get from a local tree, um, and that acts as a seal around it. And as it said in the video, old wineskins were very stiff and were not flexible. New wine skins were nice and flexible, and as the new wine continued to ferment, it produced it bubbles, which increased the pressure within the bag. An old wineskin could burst, but a new wineskin would be able to cope. It was absolutely essential that new wine was put into new wineskins, otherwise there would be a disaster. And all that harvesting you've done and fermenting and all those other things would be completely wasted. The followers of Jesus have to be like new wineskins, and that means us today. They have to be flexible and to be prepared to leave behind the way they've been taught to do things in the past. Um, And the people who are teaching people in churches... Also, need to learn new ways as well. Some people get very stuck in the past. A story about geese. There is a story about some tame geese that were kept in a farmyard with a high wall surrounding them. They felt safe there, they had everything they needed. The corn was good, they had a fresh water supply. What more could a goose want? None of them ever attempted to unfurl their wings and fly because the corn was good and they felt safe. In time, an older goose, a philosopher goose arrived and started to talk to them about giving up their ordinary safe lives for the joys and freedom of flight. They were impressed by his enthusiasm and the wonderful way he spoke as week by week he challenged them To take to the skies. Do you think this farmlet yard is all there is in life? Discover your true vocation, given to you by your creator. It's time for you to become the geese you were always meant to be. Let's join our wild cousins in flight. Carried by our wings, we could see the world. We were born to soar to lift ourselves above those beings that have no wings, who cannot fly, who are tied to the ground. Live the life that you were created for. And often the philosopher Goose would describe the beauty and wonder of life beyond the farmyard. He explained that there were desert wastes and ocean waves and forest glades and mountain ranges and they'd never seen any of these things. He reminded them that they were imprisoned in this bland and colorless world with their wings folded tightly to their sides, content to paddle in the mud without even lifting their eyes to the skies. The geese loved the wise old goose's motivational speeches. They found the talks moving and profound, a wonderful description of a life packed with meaning. And as they listened, something would stir deep inside them as though a higher power were calling them to the skies, They felt uplifted. Some of them would even begin to flap their wings to symbolise their commitment to this new life. Many of the geese gave themselves to constant study of these revolutionary ideas and endlessly discussed the old goose's teaching. They found their voices and they sang anthems to celebrate the gift of flight. But there was one thing they didn't do. What was that? They didn't fly. Because the corn was good and the farmyard was safe and secure. Has anybody read this book? I mean, I, I, I'm rereading it again at the moment. It's an incredibly inspiring book. Um, and the story is about Jackie Pullinger. I don't know if you remember the story. Having, I, I'm terrible with books. I forget them as soon as I've put them down, really. But Jackie felt from a very early age that she wanted to tell people about Jesus. At the age of 22, she graduated from the Royal College of Music and the plan, according to her parents, was that she would become a music teacher. But she wanted to do more. She wasn't inspired by the local Christian Union Christians. These are her words, not mine. Um, The Christians at college looked so wet pimply and feeble, and were mostly organists anyway. They sat in a holy huddle by themselves in the canteen and looked unattractive, like those awful people who came up to me and asked me if I was saved or washed in the blood. I didn't know what they were talking about, and I didn't want to either. Jackie had other ideas and a burning desire to go overseas somewhere, anywhere, and talk to people about Jesus. She didn't get a positive response when she wrote to various mission societies because she hadn't got any funding, she hadn't got anything really. And she was at a loss to know what to do. Eventually, her local vicar, who was a fairly um, forward-thinking vicar, I think we can safely say, the local vicar said, if God is telling you to go, you better go. He suggested that she bought a ticket for the boat going on the longest journey you can find and pray that you'll know what to do when you get off. So she'd saved up enough money for a ticket, that's all the money she had. She had very little. she actually saved money on the journey by not buying any of the drinks on board and by just drinking water. So she was not she was on a shoestring. Um she bought a ticket for Japan and she got off at Hong Kong. She found work as a primary school teacher in the Kowloon walled city despite not speaking a word of Cantonese. It was a deprived and filthy place, patrolled by drug gangs and pimps. Some of the descriptions in the book are stomach-churning. But that is where she started to work to show the gang members, the drug addicts, the prostitutes, the love of God. She opened a church there. It wasn't like a church building like we would. It was just basically a room. She opened a church there and she changed hundreds of people's lives. And the thing that... She, one thing that I remember about this book is that churches in the, back in the UK were constantly inviting her to tell them what she'd been doing. And you can see this picture here. It's one of the few pictures that exist of her um, working uh, in um, the walled city because she wasn't interested in that sort of PR. You know, not like nowadays, where you've got a billion pictures on your phone. So she can't, churches in the UK were constantly inviting her to talk and tell them what she'd been doing. And she did do some talks, but she got impatient. Don't just listen to what I've been doing. Go and do something yourselves. Last story. we all know who these two are don't we being steeped in the in in the Salvation Army as we are William and Catherine Booth were born in 1829. Um, Catherine was raised in a Christian family but made her own personal Christian commitment at the age of 16. William's family were poor his father died when he was 14 by then William was a Pong broker's assistant, seeing poverty and suffering every day. He became a Christian when he was aged 15 and began to attend his local Methodist chapel, developing a passion to share his faith, particularly with the most poor and rejected in society. He preached his first sermon at age 17. He was a talented speaker and began traveling around with the Methodist church, telling people about Jesus, and Christianity. By the early 19 sorry, by the early 1850s, he was working among the poor and uneducated. Catherine and William met when he went to preach at her church, and they married in 1855. Catherine was quiet, unfamiliar with public speaking, um, but she was driven by the belief that a woman should have the same right to speak as a man. So she got on with it. The booths held meetings for new Christian believers and they helped alcoholics. They had eight children. I don't know how they had time with all the other stuff they did. Um, but they founded uh, the Salvation Army in London in... Oh, it says 1865 on here. was the... Christian mission. Ah, right, yeah. So, ah, right, yeah. It was, it, it was originally, as, as my helper here tells me, it was originally called the Christian Mission. It became the uh, Salvation Army just a bit, but, but that was the basic group of people, wasn't it? Um, and they. T- it was in London, in the east end of London, to tackle the poverty of the Victorian era. It was based on military principles, and it aimed to provide spiritual support, yes, but practical support, the poorest people in society. William and Catherine were passionate Christians who were inspired to tell people about Jesus Christ and were convinced that following his teachings transforms people, but they also wanted to meet the human needs and to help people without discrimination as a demonstration of God's love for humanity. The thing about churches is, all churches are built by people of vision, who listen to God and understand what he's saying to them. Unfortunately, as time goes on, people often get comfortable and forget what God wants them to do. It can become all about the worship, the prayers, the ritual, rather than being about what God is meant to be driving us to do. A bit like the geese in our story. They got all enthusiastic about the ideas that were being taught, and they wanted to know more, but they never did anything. They never actually took to the air and flew, as their creator made them to do. One thing I love about the Salvation Army, and I've travelled through various um, churches in in my time as a Christian, is that there there is a real urgency to actively do the word of God. But, and I'm sure those people who've been to various other Salvation Army corps will, will agree, there are some corps where it's all about the uniforms, it's all about the brass bands, it's all about the songsters. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. It only becomes a problem if that's the only thing that the church is thinking about. And I have to say, if our core was like that, I wouldn't be here, because <laughs> I can't be doing with all of that stuff. William Booth says, as it says on here, I'm not waiting for a move of God. I am a move of God. What did he mean by that, I wonder? A vital part of the DNA of a disciple of Jesus is captured in the statement which is I have been crucified with Christ I now know I no longer live but Christ lives in me the life I now live in the body I live by the faith by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me that's galatians 2:20 That's what William Booth is alluding to when he says I'm not waiting for a move of God I am a move of God because I am pushed through through life by the Christ who's living in me when Paul wrote to the Galatian church he was very clear that his identity is in Christ but also focused on the fact that Christ lived in him this is what William Booth is talking about I'm not waiting for a move of God I am a move of God because God is inside me already I don't need to wait for God to tell me what to do God is part of me Following Jesus is not about doctrines and discussion groups. That's not to knock the, uh, the, the discussion groups we have in this church. They, they're often very helpful. But following Jesus is about actually finding your mojo, finding, about, finding the real courage to follow Christ, to, to allow our attitudes and our actions and our responses to be shaped by his. And that's hard. It's a lifetime's work. Anybody who's the same as they were when they first became a Christian isn't moving. You have to move, you have to learn, you have to understand more and you have to be motivated to do what Christ actually teaches. Many people have been sold an idea of Christianity which is all about doing and saying the right things, about fitting in, about not rocking the boat. But following Jesus is about making the story of Jesus what you give your whole life to, making the Jesus revolution what you give your energy and passion to. At the very heart of the universe is a God of love, a God who is on the side of all those who are oppressed, who feel forgotten, who feel insignificant, who feel powerless. The God of love calls us to join the revolutionary movement to bring hope and real liberation to everyone. Being religious, which is being more involved in keeping the church going at all costs with all its rituals and constraints, being religious shouldn't be confused with following the path of Jesus. It's nice to have a roof over your head, but that's not the most important thing. The Booths weren't afraid to step outside of the established church so that they could serve God better. And what they did has lasting impact today. And a new year is a good time to think about where we're all going. In the next couple of weeks, we'll be thinking about the future of our church. There's some vision statements coming out and some mission statements. And we need to make sure that we're focusing on the right things because what we can decide to do can affect the way the church functions in our neighbourhood and in our world um, in the future. And what about us as individuals? Do we know where we're meant to be heading? Are we brave enough to go there? Just think of Jackie Pullinger. That woman has some courage. Um, Are we brave enough to go there to do the bidding of our creator who made each one of us precisely to do those things? One of the questions you've got to ask yourself is are you a tame goose wanting to keep your feet on the ground or are you a wild goose ready to, ready to do whatever our creator God wants? I just put this on because I've only found it. So I've never seen this before. I'm sure uh, the you people who have been, uh, been in the Salvation Army a long time Um, but uh, I I just thought, what a summary of a life. Born in 1829, born again of the Spirit in 1845, founded the Salvation Army, went to heaven. I mean, it kind of says what their whole life was about, doesn't it? It clearly mentions that William Booth was born again of the Spirit, and it's clear that the Spirit compelled them both to do what they did all through their lives. And we need to be those people, don't we? That's what we need to do um, with our... our lives. Amen.